everyone. I am Emily Landers, and this is How'd She Do That? A podcast answering that question each episode. Well, welcome, you guys. Welcome to today's episode of How'd She Do That? I hope you all had a fantastic weekend and a great Monday yesterday. I am looking forward to the week ahead because, wow, we have so much coming up in the month of October, and I'm talking specifically about How'd She Do That? podcast. So if this is your first time listening, or perhaps you missed my bonus episode last Friday, I would encourage you to go check it out. It's a Q&A with me. I would love to get to know you guys better and you can get to know me a little bit. And you can also hear about all of the amazing and fun things we have coming up. There is so much to look forward to. We are going to have so much fun this fall. Well, again, I hope you guys had a great weekend. We had an awesome weekend in Los Angeles and I got some packages that you may have seen on Instagram. Well, those are not just for me. We have some giveaways coming up this fall. Uh, so when I say fun, I mean, fun. You'll want to make sure you're following How'd She Do That podcast to hear more. Uh, Last little update, I recently was introduced to an amazing brand called Near and Far Jewelry. They make personalized bracelets that represent your life and style, and they have been kind enough to give us a discount. The discount code is HSDT20 for 20% off, so do check them out. Well, today's episode is amazing. Hillary Hendershot joins me, and she is a guest who was recommended to me by you. I love hearing from you and getting to know who you'd like to have on, so always feel free to shoot me a DM or connect with us on How'd She Do That podcast to share more. This conversation with Hillary is one that I am really eager to get out into the world. It's so important, and I think it's something as women we need to talk about. We need to be comfortable talking about finances and money. And Hillary really brings that empowerment to us today. She is incredible. You guys are going to love this conversation. So here is Hillary Hendershot on How'd She Do That? Today's guest is one I am so excited to introduce you to. Hillary Hendershot is the founder of Hendershot Wealth Management, a leading financial advisory firm for women where her mission is to motivate women and their loved ones to be financially empowered. Hillary hosts Profit Boss Radio, a podcast where Hillary and her guests offer inspiration and actionable advice to support women in their financial journey. She's also a TEDx speaker and has been featured in the Wall Street Journal, NBC, ABC, Fox, Forbes, and many other platforms. Hillary has an MBA from Santa Clara University and is a certified financial planner. When Hillary isn't working with her clients or hosting her podcast, she is likely relaxing at home in San Jose and enjoying time with her adorable family, which includes her husband and darling daughter. Hillary, welcome to How'd She Do That? So excited to be here, Emily. Thank you. That was a great intro. Very generous. (laughs) Well, there is so much to say about you. And I have to share, this is a really fun connect because I actually put out on Instagram uh, a suggestion box. I said, who do you guys want to hear on the podcast? And you were referenced a couple of times. 
Well, this just feeds my ego so perfectly. Thank you so much. <laughs> well, it's true. It's true. And I'm I'm really excited because to have a financial advisor and gosh, a wealth management expert on the podcast, I just think we're about to learn so much from you. So I'm pumped. <laughs> well, get your money questions out. Let's do this. Oh my gosh, amazing. Well, first and foremost, I'd love to start with a little bit more about you. Of course, I mentioned your where you went to school and whatnot. A ton of my listeners are young, kind of right out of the gates, recent grads. So I'd love to start at that season of life, if that sounds good with you, maybe yeah. where you went to school, what did you major in, and, and what did that look like for you? So I... You know, starting way back, I um, was a unique teenager and decided that I was done with high school before high school was done with me. So I took off. I do not have a high school diploma or even a GED. I went to community college. Yeah. I went to community college and I got my AA in speech communications at West Valley College in Saratoga, California. And, you know, a lot of people ask me, well, don't you have to have a high school diploma to get a, a college degree? And you, at the time you didn't, there was this workaround uh, on the form I filled out to get into the community college. So <laughs> I have my AA in speech communications. I transferred to Santa Clara University. I thought I was going to be a communications major. And I found out that communications at that university at my university was uh, radio and television broadcasting. So I had been studying persuasive speaking. I was an intercollegiate debater. I was interested in persuasion and speaking kind of communications, right? Wow. And I said, I don't want anything to do with radio and television. This is not interesting to me. I'd much rather be in front of the camera than behind it. And so I just took economics because it was part of the general education requirements. And I had a professor who who is kind of world renowned. He, I didn't know him at the time, but it, this course just changed my life. I felt like I had been always destined for economics. I had no idea before I took the course, but it was the first time I would study ahead and read voraciously. And I felt like every class I was learning these truths that were changing my life. And so I changed my major to economics and did really well, graduated uh, magna cum laude with my degree in economics. I also spent a summer in Washington, D.C., working in public wow. policy. I am super passionate about public policy. I am not, however, passionate about politics. Very different. Yeah, they're <laughs> yeah. very different. I do not do politics. And that means wow. in the corporate environment, in the Washington, D.C. environment, I am very much a what you see is what you get. I'm like completely unstrategic and transparent kind of a person. So, uh, so I came home and ended up, uh, I mean, I sort of did the career, uh, carousel a little bit in the beginning. I went to work in management consulting cause that's what economics majors do. And I hated it. I got really good at Excel spreadsheets. And then I, I changed to be a corporate recruiter. I worked, went to, this was 1998. And so oh, it was wow. the height of the dot-com boom in Silicon yes. Valley. I went to work for a startup that had $20 million of VC money. It was super, we were all millionaires on paper. And then we, <laughs> wow. we didn't, you know, earn the business and we spent all the money and I left that company without my last paycheck. And, oh, um, <laughs> that was about, but I had a ton of fun and I learned a lot. And that was about the time I uh, went to my father. My father came to me and said, Hillary, I'd really like to mentor you into this business that I've built. I, he owned a registered investment advisory firm and I, you know, I had 
grown up with his conversations about financial planning. And I, I sort of took the job not really thinking much of it. I I told him I would do marketing for the firm and I was wow. studying the financial planning textbooks. And I, I, to be totally honest with you, thought they were pretty boring. I just really didn't get it. And then I started to develop relationships with the clients and I learned that I could use my technical skill set to um, to make a difference for people. I saw how much value we were providing for people, and I saw how much fun it could be to, and fulfilling, really intellectual fulfilling, to use this thing, this skill set that I have, that I know that other people need to help them really improve an area of life that's so important, like money. So wow. that's 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 on the career side of things. And, uh, you know, we might talk about the personal side of things because I was really not managing my life very well, my money specifically very well at that time. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but I definitely had strong work ethic. So I was very committed to getting clicked into a career. And it was really fun for me to discover that financial planning as a career could actually be really enjoyable. Wow. Oh my gosh. Well, that's amazing. And even to hear about your stint in DC and like you said, the policy side of things, not necessarily the politics. It's great and so cool to hear that that's something you're passionate about as well. Well, I'd love to, to back up even a little bit because what was it that was your first role out of school? Was that moving to DC? What did that season kind of look like that very, very first role? Yes. I So no, DC was the summer in between my junior and senior years in college. And I did a oh, research wow. fellowship for the Cato Institute. And I worked at the National Taxpayers Union Foundation in Alexandria. So that was just like 10 weeks. Oh, so then, wow. so I spent my last year as a senior in college and I got offers from mm, all of the consulting firms that I interviewed with. And I went to work for one that was called at the time Peterson Worldwide. Peterson Worldwide is one of those firms who had a semi-big scandal, and so it no longer has that name. I believe they changed the name to Navigant Consulting, but essentially I was working on the large Superfund case sites. So in California, there are the the power plants that ended up seeping essentially poisonous materials into the groundwater and the soil. And, you know, there were massive, massive, massive lawsuits. And so I was, I mean, essentially doing bookkeeping for those sites. So I know a lot of weird things about, (laughs) it's like, Okay. Um, uh, And, and, and like I said, it was not something where I had, I had any I mean, I, you're, you're, when you graduate from college, you have to put in your time, right? Yes, absolutely. So I spent nine months kind of in a broom closet and I said, I, I got to go. Wow. Oh my gosh. Yes. And now is that when your dad actually said, hey, it's time to kind of step into this? Is this something that you're interested in? And what did it look like to step forward in that? What was your first role kind of stepping into the wealth management? What exactly were you doing at that time? Yeah. Technically, after Peterson Worldwide came the startup, so I was doing recruiting yes. for yes. 18 to 24 months or something like that. And then okay. then there was the financial planning. So it was uh, 
so I, when I started with my father, you know, the idea was I was going to be the business continuation plan. And so I started the certified financial planner coursework, uh, pretty immediately. Wow. Those courses are offered through extension university. So I took mine at UC Santa Cruz extension. There's also a program at UC Berkeley extension. Um, and they're sort of, they're offered as professional development around the country. And that's about two years of coursework. You can do an advanced CFP curriculum in one year, but you do have to be working directly with clients for three years uh, in order to use the CFP mark. So that it, okay. you take you take six master's level courses, you take and pass a two-day, 10-hour exam, and then you have to also have this three years of direct work with clients requirement met. Wow. Amazing. So you are set up with clients kind of right off the bat to get started and to get that CFP behind your name and whatnot. When we're thinking about financial planner, I am probably like the most basic understanding of what that looks like and what that is. Could you tell us a little bit about what those first conversations with clients are like and what it looks like to come to you for assistance at that time? Sure. So, and let me just back up a little bit and say, you know, you said you have a basic understanding of what that looks like, and it's really not your fault. Everyone knows what a doctor is, and everyone knows right. what an insurance <laughs> agent is, but they're, the term financial advisor or financial planner is not a regulated term, and I'm not saying that it should be, but there are people that do different things who call themselves financial advisors. Some are reputable uh, and some are not, right? Right. So yep. you're, you, of course, have heard different things about what financial planners do, so it's natural that you would have a vague understanding because it's not clear. <laughs> so yes. just to your to your credit there. And, <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> and, uh, and so I am an independent fiduciary advisor. So as so there's three primary groups of people who call themselves financial advisors. First of all, a lot of insurance salesmen who sell whole and term life insurance call themselves financial advisors. Uh, oh. However, all they deal in is insurance. Okay. Okay. Now there's Wall Street advisors who work for the your Merrill Lynch, Smith Barney, Wells Fargo kind of banks, brokerages, or financial institutions. They also do some financial planning, mostly investment management, and they, for the most part, have a proprietary list of investment products that they must sell into client accounts. Now, there was a well-meaning group of people who took a look at this and said, this isn't actually serving the client. Let's actually do what's right for the client. We want to have a fiduciary relationship with our clients. My father was one of those first people to actually make that change. So he was working for the wow. New York Life as a life insurance agent. He sort of tossed that side of his business, became a fee-only fiduciary advisor. I know those words are strange, fee-only and fiduciary. <laughs> fee-only refers to how I get paid. So it's in contrast to commissions. My clients don't pay commissions. So when it comes to you know, your real estate agent, paying that person a commission might be fine or selling you a car. But when it comes to someone who's going to offer you consultative advice about how to build your wealth, you mm -hmm. just want to pay that person for good advice. You don't want that person to get paid to sell you particular products or investment tools because obviously that's going to sway their Mm. their their biases, right? Right. So because I'm fee only, uh, I have no biases except for making my clients wealthier over time. Wow, <laughs> and you know, yes. so you know, I tell people there's an investment company I've worked with for 21 years at this point and I say they've never so much as bought me a steak dinner. They do not pay me kickbacks, spliffs, commissions, nothing. I don't get a cut. 
So, wow. uh, so now I've spent a long time sort of diatribing about that. I'm sorry if it was too much, but I think it's important that people understand that how your advisor gets paid is really critical to the relationship and the kind of advice you're going to get. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And that's not something I would have even kind of put together. And so I think it's great for my listeners because, again, I've mentioned this, many of them are just stepping out. Many of them are getting large paychecks for the first time in their lives. And so to think about, gosh, that beginning season of I have a paycheck. And I remember when I lived in New York, I'd get my paycheck and I'd go, you know, and get some amazing new shoes with little thought to rent, you know, food, all of the the necessities. of life. So I would love, gosh, just thinking about that season of life or perhaps someone's listening who's actually very far along in their career and they've just never really thought heavily about maybe a budget or a plan. Do you have any quick just tips right off the bat as people are listening and beginning to think about taking ownership of of their money. Um, and I love that you you really speak on the empowerment because I think a lot of people, money can be a tricky thing. Do you have any tips for my listeners who are just now kind of, you've piqued their interest in, well, hold on a second, where do I begin? Sure. What do I do first? Sure. So for most of you, you are saving in an employer-sponsored 401k or potentially a 403b account. Those two accounts are really the same. One is for for-profit companies and one is for nonprofits and schools and things like that. Uh, and you know, you're mostly amassing your wealth there. So in 2020, you can save $19,500 tax deferred into those accounts. For many of you, that feels like a lot. So getting to that amount will be, is your first goal. Uh, you know, if I could back up and sort of from a principled standpoint, say, I, I do think that wealth building is the last feminist frontier. And I, you know, I'm not saying feminist in the 1960s definition, although that definition is fine too. I just think it's time for women to really own our own when it comes to money that I when I look out into the world I see that historically women don't talk much about money it's not considered feminine to build wealth or have power and I'm mm. just really up for busting up those myths and so if I could say something to you listening who are listening if you adopt the mindset that you should really be growing your net worth every mm. single month as many months in, in consecutive as possible <laughs> that that kind of mindset will absolutely, you will look back when you are my age or I'm 43. When mm-hmm. when you're my age or older, you'll look back and thank yourself, your past self for having done that. You'll also set yourself up to be sort of light years ahead of many of the people who are shoulder to shoulder with you now, no matter wow. their gender. Um, and you know, I, I rarely talk like that because most of the women I speak to are in their middle, middle, mid middle life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, and so I never want someone to feel reprimanded or talked down to because they didn't start saving when they were young. I did not. And, you know, that became my my cross to bear. And it was a it was a hill I had to surmount. And now my my life is committed to giving that that journey away and helping other people, you know, facilitate it. So I made it okay in my life. And so no matter where you are, it's okay. But but ultimately 
you know, no one is going to take care of your financial situation for you. Nobody cares more about your money than you. And I, you know, I, and for, that's, that's only untrue for a very small minority of people for whom, you know, potentially your parents are going to leave you a life altering amount of money. But right. even if you think that's in your future, you can't count on it. And so, right. and so I just am really an advocate for Money is one of the most critical aspects of life. I mean, you have your health, you have your money, you have your social life, your family life, your spiritual life. And if you don't pay attention to it or don't focus on having it work for you, it won't because no one else is going to fix it for you. And so I just um, am really big on, you know, and thank you for the work that you're doing to help your listeners facilitate their careers and strategize, you know, progress in their life. And, and let's also add financial trajectory to that. And it, again, if you are focused on growing your net worth as, uh, as often as possible, you will, you will ultimately attain financial freedom and financial independence. And financial independence, by the way, is the same as retirement. It's when you can stop working or work when you want to. Wow. And uh, that's where most people want to get, right? Absolutely. Oh my gosh. I, I'm gonna, I can't wait to re-listen to everything you just said. (laughs) (laughs) There's so much to unpack, Hillary. Uh, You are spot on. I'm totally tracking with you and listeners. I hope that you guys are too, because she just dropped so much wisdom. So let's just pause right now and rewind and listen again (laughs) and come back because that was awesome. And, And I couldn't agree more what you were saying about, it's really interesting. I know that many of my listeners, myself included, you know, if they're a topic around money, it can be intimidating to bring it up. If we notice there's something weird in our paycheck that doesn't seem to add up right, some of us might look the other way simply because we kind of passively don't want to talk about money. But being able to hear your encouragement of being empowered, taking ownership of your financial, gosh, every area of life, like you just said, finance, spirituality, uh, physical health, all of these things, we don't want to overlook any of them. And I agree agree. I think a lot of times women do overlook uh, their financial state. I I would love to know because you mentioned, you know, that this wasn't, you know, your whole life, you didn't have a a piggy bank you were putting into from childhood. I'd love to know, was there something that, uh, was there a flip uh, or was there a switch that flipped for you? You know, was there something that happened that really helped you take this seriously? What did that look like for you? Yeah, a switch. I wish it was as easy as a switch. It was more like the equivalent right. of, a, of a massive head-on car collision. Wow. Uh, so I was an overspender my whole life. I always thought short-sightedly when I started first getting paid at the management consulting firm. I was in, you were in New York. I was in San Francisco. Rent was yes. more than I, I looked at my paycheck and I thought, thought, are you kidding me? <laughs> and, you know, uh, the amount of doing without that I would have had to suffer, I decided now is not the time. I'll save when I make more money. And for me, I always lived life in the context of there's never enough money. It was just very much a scarcity mindset. And that did come from mm. my childhood. And it's not my mother's fault. My mother was very good with money. She just was a, a she was a saver. And so we yes. were always tightening our belt, but she was growing her net worth. I just didn't know that and didn't understand it. So for me, I couldn't have the brand name shoes that I wanted. She would only give me $5 to buy gift birthday gifts for my friends at birthday parties. I was embarrassed. My gifts were smaller. And so for me, I thought we were poor. 
I literally wow. thought we were poor and we were not. And, uh, and so I lived my life like a poor woman. And that means I would, you know, so that recruiting job I had, I was making a hundred thousand dollars a year and I was spending 120. Wow. Yeah. Yes. And wow. you can keep that up as long as the credit card companies are willing to continue to extend credit to you. And mm. as long as, you know, you keep paying your bills. But during the financial crisis of 2008, my income di dipped significantly and I had taken on debts that were more than I could pay. Wow. And so I, it got to the end of the financial road for me and I was in a massive mess. I lost a condo and I didn't have money for rent. So if if it hadn't been for my mother and her guest room, I would literally have been homeless. Now, wow. mind you, at this time, I am working as a financial advisor. Wow. So I'm literally advising multimillionaires on their stock portfolios during the day and coming home to a stack of bills that I wouldn't open because I couldn't pay them. So oh, I, I was a mess. And uh, I... I mean, took the equivalent of that long, hard, figurative look at myself in the mirror and said, Hillary, you did this. Your behavior led you here. Are you committed to a life like this? Like you're not even 30 years old. This is how life wow. is going to go if you keep behaving like this. And I said, no, I'm done. Whatever I'm doing, I'm going to reverse it. I'm going to turn it on its ear. And I just got really honest with people about where I was. And I decided that I wasn't attached to any of my beliefs or behaviors. And I decided to become an expert on the subject of money psychology. So our beliefs about money. And I saw that I was manifesting this money scarcity by overspending. And, that you know, I had to wow. really be honest because when money would come into my accounts, it it would cause cognitive dissonance for me because I have a belief that there's never enough money and yet here there's a balance in my checking account. And so money burned a hole in my pocket. I had to spend it. I had to get it out of my ecosystem. And so I would wow. buy things for people. Yeah. <laughs> you would have loved to come out to drinks with me because I would pay the bill. I would pay every bill <laughs> um, except my mortgage apparently. So, yes. so, uh, so I rewrote all of that. It took me, you know, years of, I mean, at first, no joke, living way under my means. I didn't buy a cup of coffee for two years. I wow. I did everything I could to get low cost, no cost things. I kept my expenses minimum. I didn't even buy any new clothes. I just was going to fix my money problem. Mm. And you know, now just to give you and your listeners a sense. So at this point, I run a business that makes about a million dollars a year. I yeah. own a home in San Jose that's worth two million dollars, but between the balance of my husband and my investment accounts, we're definitely financially independent. So wow. about uh, about 10 years later, after my financial my own financial crisis, I have achieved financial independence. So I work because I, I love it. Mm -hmm. And my passion, my purpose on the planet is to give this skill set away. And mm -hmm. so I, I have a lot of compassion and empathy for people who might have deep analytical skill sets, but for whom money still seems elusive. And I think, you know, Emily, if you think about the people that you know and your perception of their financial success, you kind we kind of all know that while, yes, having a wor strong work, work ethic or being really smart, that tends to lead to money. It doesn't always. Mm. And also, you and I both know people who don't seem like they should have quite as much money as they do, but they just make more, they make money hand over fist. It seems inexplicable, right? Yes. 
that we've been sort of fed this story. If you get good grades and work really hard, you'll have financial success. But that story is really unraveling. And I, I think the key to it all is that you as an individual have so much agency over your financial situation. And, and so that's really what I'm passionate about in infusing into the conversation and, and educating people about. Oh my gosh, fantastic. And I love too, one thing you just said, and I just want to brag on you for a second, because you have come to a place where you are working because you love it. I'd like to add, you're also really good at it. <laughs> <laughs> well, I try. <laughs> I would I would like to add, I think you're also really good at it. But wow. Oh my gosh. I mean, how many people likely can relate to your story? And I just think it's fascinating that you really were able to say, okay, there's some psychology behind this. I'm living in a scarcity mentality when it comes to money, even though I'm making a hundred thousand a year. Are there other, because you, again, you're really the expert in this. Are there other um, kind of mentalities that we can have around money? Perhaps it's scarcity. Uh, perhaps there's others that I'm not aware of. Are there other terms that we should be thinking about uh, in regards to our relationship with money and our thoughts surrounding it? Mm. Uh, gosh, that's a really insightful question. So here's one. Uh, here's a term I trademarked to describe something specific. You might hear the term money block or money mindset. What I discovered is that I was literally coded with a belief about money. There's actually two of them. For me, it was there's never enough money and money gives you power. And mm. that that second one came from my father and my mother were divorced and he was, you know, had an obligation to pay child support and he would resist that every month. He didn't want to pay oh. my mother and he used to say to me, I don't want her to have that kind of power over me. And I said, oh, money gives you power. I got mm -hmm. it. Right. And right. so I lived like that and I wanted people to think that I was likable and powerful. So I spent money that I didn't have to earn their regard. And I, I had the emblems of wealth confused with the reality of wealth. And now that belief, uh, there's never enough money. It's a common one, but you and you, all of you listening have what I now term a money operating system. So the operating system, just like on the computer, uh, it, the operating system is the software that tells the the hardware how to interact with the user and sort of is the context for all of the computer's behavior. And that's the same as you with your money operating system. And, uh, you know, some, some popular money operating systems, again, there's never enough money, but there's also, there's always enough money. Now, if you, mm -hmm. if you have the money operating system, there's always enough money counterintuitively. Yes, you live in a context of abundance, but that's not always the reality of your financial situation. For example, I had someone come to me once. She said, I'm 64 years old. I'm going to retire next year. I really want to work with you. I have $150,000 saved. Now, mind you, she's spending $50,000 a year to live on. Mm. So her $150,000 is going to be gone in three years. Yes. And so she, I could tell that she was sublime. She was so proud of herself for her savings and being conservative and, and et cetera, et cetera. And I had to say to her, you can't afford to retire, right? So mm -hmm. she had this money belief, there's always enough money, but she didn't have the evidence to back it up. And that's really the key to this money operating system thing is that it's a strongly held belief in contrast to the reality of money. Money is just... Uh you know, numbers. So there's also uh, money doesn't grow on trees. Money right. is the root of all evil or like yes. rich people are greedy or bad. Um, right. There's also you have to work hard for money. Mm. My husband has money is no problem. 
<laughs> I like I, that one. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yes. And then, you know, when I met him, he, he had to have money, have be no problem. So he didn't want to talk about it. I would always say, well, you know, uh-huh. like we're dating. I'm like, well, we were going to Costa Rica. How, how do you want to split expenses? And he would say, it's no problem. Just give me whatever you want to give. Now, that's fine oh. and generous, but I also didn't feel like a contributing member of the couple, right? Wow, yes. <laughs> yeah. So you have to be careful. No matter what your money operating system is, even if it's uh, empowering, it, it it is limiting. And so I think it's important to take a look at it and really kind of get... I mean, I'm kind of spiritual about money at this point. I think about it a lot. But, you know, money has no no nature. Money is just bits and bytes. Money is mm. a, literally a conversation. It's even currency isn't money. Money is we made it up as human beings. It's just a system for barter. And uh, most people yeah. went totally crazy about money at some point. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Oh my gosh. Well, well the the kind of side that you you don't really recognize about your relationship with money. I I really hope and I believe this conversation is going to help you listener to think through this a little bit more. And wow, after hearing your story Hillary, I know there is a subject that is a hot topic right now that I'd love to get your insight and thoughts on. You probably can can guess what it's going to be debt. Debt, whether it be student loans, credit cards, um, this is a topic that a lot of people steer clear of, hide from, don't want to talk about. Uh, there's a lot of shame around it in in some areas um, of people's lives and minds. I'd love to know if a, a client comes into you and they have a surmountable amount of debt and they feel just buried in it, um, what, what are some of the first steps? What do you tell that person? Well, so first of all, I don't think about people with debt the way most people think about debt. So I think that until you meet me or until you get smart about your money operating system, you don't have power in some sense over your behavior with money. Yes, you have Mm -hmm. agency, but you don't recognize the power of this underlying belief dictating your behavior. So I don't have any value judgments about people who have debt. Plus, especially if your listeners are students, so many of them were sort of forced to take on massive amounts of student debt. And I absolutely, I sort of blame society for that. Honestly, I don't, I think it's wrong to saddle. young people with that much debt. But so listen, there's no, there's no magic about it, uh, that, uh, paying off your debt raises your net worth just like saving does. And so I'm ambivalent about whether you pay off debt or save in the beginning, but you do have to tackle the debt. I mean, you have to pay more than the minimums or you're just going to rack up a ton of interest charges. So absolutely. The key to it, in my opinion, is uh, for the most part, budgets don't work. People don't abide by them and they take too much work to curate. You have to sort of constantly garden the the budget and uh, track your expenses and organize them. And you sort of have to be vigilant about it all the time. And I've really never met a person who kept up with that. And so I recommend a different system. It's called automation. I talk about it on my on my show all the time. Um. And it works whether you're paying off debt or building up net worth. And essentially, it's a series of 
multiple accounts with automatic flows. I'm a big fan of automatic transfers. So every time money comes in from your income, you're transferring money to your your debt or your overhead or your short-term savings goals and then to your long-term savings goals. And so think of a, a little bit like an irrigation system. The money goes in the money, the water goes into the hose in the garden mm-hmm. and then and then brings it around the garden to the various plants and things that need the water and automatically deposits the water there so that without you walking around your yard every day, you know, your plants and things are getting watered and nourished. And it's the same way with automation. So you just turn on the system, you configure the automatic transfers, and then it happens every time money comes into your account, those transfers get made. And uh, it's really magical. It, It may not feel magical in the first month, but, you know, you take your attention off of it for a couple months and all of a sudden your debts and bills are getting paid and your money, your net worth is growing every month. And, um, you know, people love it. And then, you know, so that what this enables is you just have one spending account and you can spend that account to zero, which most of us do every week. The problem is that we keep all of our money in that account. And so when you spend to zero, you got nothing left. Ah, yes. So if you pay yourself first, pay your debts, your overhead and spend what's left over, that's the difference between a financially empowered life and a financially destructive life. Wow. Oh my gosh. Well, that's amazing. And I love too your your thoughts around debt and student loan debt specifically for those of you who are listening and you may might be experiencing this. That's something that my husband Luke and I are really excited about. We're going to be done with his law school loans as early as next year. And just like Hillary said, we've been paying ourselves, then paying our debt, tackling those and moving forward to that financial freedom. It's super exciting. And if that's something that you feel discouraged about, listen to Hillary. She just said, there's no shame around that. It's really, gosh, you're in a boat with a ton of other people. And like Hillary said, society has really done us a disservice for many of our undergrads who who have taken on just tons of, of gosh, debt that, that if you feel buried by that, just know there is hope and there's a plan. And gosh, check out Hillary's website and all that she has uh, for you guys. There's so many courses and whatnot. Now, Hillary, I would love to hear a little bit about, gosh, like I just said, you have so many courses, so many different things available to your clients. What was the first course that you came out with as a financial advisor? So after I was in a place with my finances where I felt like I could look back and I had moved the I had moved the marker in a meaningful way, I said, I can simplify this and I can give it away. And so I created a course. At the time, it was called the 50K Wealth Multiplier Experience. I had nine women in the program in the first year. That was three years ago. And we created a $1.5 million increase in their combined net worth over, it was a 24-month trajectory. So, And there's one woman in that program who has continued to grow her net worth at $300,000 a year. She makes $900,000 a year. And she paid for her kids, three children to go to uh, university in California out of cash flow. So oh my God. <laughs> I know, I know. Uh, what? <laughs> she's like my hero and I talk about her all the time. Oh. And so now, uh, we're, we're offering that course and it's just for business owners at this point. Mm. And so if you're a business owner and you want to take this further, I do have a, a free training that you can check out just to see if it's something that's of interest to you. 
Oh, fantastic. That is so cool. Well, again, you guys are going to have to check out all of Hillary's resources and we will let you know where you can connect with her at the end. But gosh, I am so excited. I want to hear, I'd love to know, and I'm sure my listeners would love this as well. I'd love to know, this is kind of a twofold question. What's been a real wow moment in your career? And then I'd love to hear of any memorable clients similar to the woman you just mentioned uh, that you have just felt so just empowered for them on their behalf, so excited for them. I'd love to know what's been a real wow moment for you in your career and perhaps a really cool client story as well. Mm-hmm. Well, I'd say a wow moment. Uh, you know, when I started in financial planning, I was in my early 20s and my father was my mentor and I looked around me and all my competition were his colleagues. So they were uh, wow. older and white and male. And, yes. you know, that's fine. I mean, I, I happen to be married to an older white male at this current time. <laughs> it's not a problem. It's just that I felt massively insecure and really inferior. And I decided to focus on serving women and I sort of put my head down and worked my tail off to make progress both in my financial life and my career. And now I'm in a place where those very same men are calling me, asking me for advice. I've wow. been sort of honored in the industry. And I, you know, it's not a a brag, but of course, if I don't toot my horn, no, nobody's going to. And I'm not <laughs> saying I'm the best of the best of the best, but I've really made meaningful progress to now where I have a bit, I'm I'm a, I'm at least a mentor or a role model in the industry that I'm in. And so that's like, wow, I, I just, it's fascinating to be in a place in my career that I, I was so sure was totally out of reach. And, you know, so I feel, I have some pride about that. (laughs) As you should. Yes. So then uh, a client win stories, you know, there was a woman who came into my program. She is a therapist by trade. She had suffered a massive family tragedy. Her father went in for a routine surgery. The surgeon nicked a nerve and left him quadriplegic and in a, oh a assisted living facility. So this was a man in his late fifties and he was the breadwinner in the family. And, wow. you know, at the same time they're grieving his injury there. They also discovered, you know, this upper middle-class life they were living was sort of a house of cards. He, he really wasn't mm. saving. And so there was no money to take care of mom who didn't have a history of earning. And my client was living out of the house in an apartment in Southern California. And so of course not low cost, but the only way she was affording that was with this stipend from her dad, which of course dried up pretty quickly. And so she came to me and I would describe her as scared, grieving, disempowered, lacking Mm. any type of, um, what's the word inspiration about moving her financial life forward. And by the way, at the same time, her mother was also a therapist and her mother was extremely outspoken. You need to continue serving the underclass of society. You need to continue doing pro bono work and working at low cost clinics because that's what a virtuous person would do. And so she was so torn and she just got to a place where, you know, like me looking myself in the mirror that day, I said, I'm not putting up with this my whole life. My, like my life can't go this way. And, and she said, you know, thanks mom. I, I thank you for your guidance. I'm actually going to go write my own story here. And, you know, there was one conversation I had with her. I encouraged her, we did some math and I, it said, okay, if you want to save for a house and save for financial independence, you know, instead of making a minimum, she was making $50 an hour and she was scared to leave this clinic job because, um, she got healthcare insurance there. And I said, look, if you make $150 an hour, you can do 30, 40, 50 minute sessions a week. So 
work 30 hours and you'll have enough. And I showed her the numbers and she agreed, okay, I'll have enough. I said, I encourage you go raise your minimum hourly rate to $150 an hour. So I spoke to her a month later. She said, Hillary, I went to 150 and I was having so much fun. I went to 200. (laughs) (laughs) And so she, she had quit that clinic job and she was doing all of her hours. She was not taking any clients at less than 200 an hour. And pretty soon, you know, she, uh, she went out on her own. So now she's a business owner. She has a company retirement plan. She has several employees working for her. She actually married the man of her dreams. And I mean, I'm telling you, cause she's still working with us as a financial planning client. So I speak to her and just everything about how you would experience this woman has altered. She's a powerhouse now. And, you know, she's like making it happen. And it's, I I have to say to her sometimes, you know, it's just, I'm just, it's incredible to be with the transformed you. And so Uh, I'm really proud of her and proud of that. So it's, it's just an example of how people can alter their money story. Absolutely. And uh, something just came to mind. I had a guest on one time and it was a similar situation where she felt like she was doing the right thing, but in doing so, she was actually hurting her potential and her future. And she called it golden handcuffs. Just that idea of having a job that, you know, well, I'm getting paid and I have this and I have that. But wow, for someone who's listening, perhaps that story resonates with you and you're thinking, hold on a second, I might be able to take the next step. I might be able to up, uh, gosh, my price. What would it look like to step out of these golden handcuffs and take it to the next level like Hillary's client did? Oh my gosh, that's amazing. Well, Hillary, I have just loved our conversation. I have a few more questions that I know my listeners will be eager to hear the answers and and myself as well. I would love to know, and this is a big one, (laughs) what is the greatest lesson you have learned? Mm, Wow, that's a big question. The greatest lesson I have learned, besides the fact that I'm not always right. (laughs) (laughs) That's a good one, too. (laughs) Uh, The biggest lesson I've learned is actually in that is in that vein is to um, is that there there's I, I might no matter how certain I am at any given moment, there is a chance that I will see something new or learn something new and be completely dialectically opposed to the thing I used to believe so strongly. So I have given up for the most part, righteousness and certainty. And I have learned to be very open, open to feedback. Uh, If someone says to me that they had a particular experience of me in a conversation rather than defend myself, I look from their perspective. Um, I just have learned to be interested in other people's experience, their nuanced experience, and it's been life altering. Oh my gosh. Well, There you go. Drop the mic. We're done. (laughs) How about that, guys? I mean, think think about this. We've been talking about finances. We've been talking with Hillary, who's a financial advisor, wealth management expert. And she just took it all the way back to her communication days of being able to think through, okay, let me elevate someone else's thoughts and experience. And and I guess what I would come back to is, is how can I be unoffendable and listen in and be open to other opinions, other views? That's probably my, that's a, that it's amazing. Hillary, you just mentioned that tiny little thing. That's probably one of my biggest takeaways from this conversation. Thank you. That's really, really cool. Uh, Within that same vein, what are you learning now? Hmm. Gosh, what I'm learning now 
is how to make good marketing videos. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. (laughs) I've learned that in business, you always have to keep learning that I do consider myself an expert on the science of financial planning, but that if you can't get it into people's hands in a consumable way, that it really doesn't matter because I can't make a living in a silo. So yeah, I mean, just video, making video, it's like, it's the way of the future. It's what everyone wants. And it is hard. It is hard. Yes. (laughs) Yes. Oh my gosh. Okay. That's so cool. So we'll need to be on the lookout. And this kind of ties in with with my next thought and question, which that's just so fun. I think I need to get better at videos as well. Oh my goodness. (laughs) Oh my gosh. But with that in mind, I mean, gosh, there's so much coming up for you. You have so much going on. There's always a course, always different ways for listeners to connect with you. But what is next for you? Yeah. So we're entering this season of my my coaching course for business owners. So I'm super excited to offer a totally free one hour training where I have put together the best of what I've learned over coaching hundreds of business owners to increase revenues, profits, and net worth. And I'm sharing the three most costly financial mistakes I see too many business owners making and the three successful habits that profitable, successful business owners have. And then I'm inviting you if you make it to the end of the training to make a commitment that I see if business owners have this commitment and it's living and thriving in their lives, that they're almost sure, almost assured of the financial success success that they want. It's called the seven ways business owners can transform revenues into personal wealth. And you can access it by visiting my website, hillaryhendershot.com forward slash seven, the number seven steps. So it's hillaryhendershot.com forward slash seven steps. Awesome. Well, I'm so excited about that. You guys are going to want to jump on board. That sounds incredible. And wow, thank you for this free opportunity. For those of you who have been listening and are wondering what is the next step for you, a business owner, I think we just said it. (laughs) I'm pretty sure we just told you. Uh, Well, Hillary, this has been so much fun. Is there anything else we didn't cover today that you'd like to? I think the the thing I always want to leave people with, especially if you're just getting started and your financial life can seem almost insurmountable, but no matter where you are, no matter where you come from, no matter what you've done up to this point, I know that anything is possible for you, that you can write your story if you just have the right help or the right um, messaging or the right guidance, or the right empowerment to do that. So just know that the life you want is possible for you. Oh my gosh. Absolutely. I think we just got our quote for the episode. Absolutely. That is so true, Hillary. And boy, you've brought that to my life today. And I know you've brought that to my listeners as well. Well, just one, two more questions for you. We always ask this. We always love to know if there is someone that comes to mind that you think should come on and share their how'd she do that story with us. So I think that the context of managing any busy life where you have a lot of things that you're committed to is organization and productivity, that that's the foundation. And I have a good friend and colleague named Amber De La Garza, who's an expert on uh, efficiency, organization, productivity, and she explains it all so succinctly and effectively. So I, I, would, uh, I would put her up for uh, interview on the show. 
Oh, that sounds great. Well, thank you, Hillary. You all will have to stay tuned for that. That definitely sounds in line with something that I would be really eager to get some help with. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Hillary, thank you so much. And of course, listeners, are they probably already found you, but where can listeners connect with you? So if you have room in your podcast lineup, check me out at Profit Boss Radio. That's Profit Boss Radio. And of course, everything I do uh, on on the web and everywhere is located at my home base, which is my main website, hillaryhendershot.com. That's where you'll access that free training. My first name has one L and my last name has two T's. Oh, awesome. Well, again, Hillary, thank you so much for today. I know you guys are going to want to send this episode to a friend. This has been fantastic. Hillary, thank you again for your time today. Thanks, Emily. Thank you all for listening to today's episode of How'd She Do That? I'm Emily Landers. You can follow me on Instagram at Emily Landers and the podcast at How'd She Do That Podcast. Please join us next Tuesday for a new episode. Talk to you soon.